Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Well, happy Friday. I pray that your Good Friday, um, for those watching overseas, it's probably only just beginning. Hi, Alvida. I know you're watching. It's about 4 a.m. over there. God bless you. Uh, but for those of you who are watching online uh, here in Australia and around the world, I pray that uh, today was a beautiful day for you. And I'd love to hear how you spend Good Friday. I was thinking about my grandfather um, today. He, every Good Friday, he used to always watch The Robe, the old movie, The Robe. He'd love to watch it. And um, you know, what, what sort of Good Friday traditions do you guys have? I know this morning we sat around the breakfast table and had hot cross buns and read scripture together and took communion together as a family. And that was a beautiful thing. I'd love to hear what, what you do for Good Friday. And I'd, I'd encourage you, even though this Easter is so different to perhaps any you've ever had, we don't need to allow ourselves to fall into discouragement. It's so easy to get discouraged. And I know myself, I've had some really big things that I was looking forward to um, cancelled because of this coronavirus. And you may have had things that you were looking forward to cancelled. I mean, even just being able to come to church, uh, it's disappointing not being able to be together. But the good news is that we don't have to have our happiness based on our circumstances. I was surprised at myself, actually, at, at though, though I was disappointed with some of these things that we weren't able to do, I, it's, a, it's a test to help me realize and remember, actually, I am genuinely, deeply happy because I'm, I'm, I'm joyful and I'm able to rejoice in spite of the circumstances because, God, I'm forgiven. If there was nothing else, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. You don't even remember my sins. You've forgiven me. <sighs> that is enough to bring you into a place of exceeding joy. To think today, I'm forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. I'm accepted. Thank you, God, that today, no matter what is in store, if nothing uh, nothing else happened, Lord, I have this incredible, profound joy because of your sacrifice, because of your suffering, death and resurrection. Jesus, you have given me life. Having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, having believed that he was tormented, crucified, horrifically rejected, suffered, all the fears, all the anxiety, all the pain, all the rejection, and so much more of the whole world. You took it all for me so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be accepted, so that I could have eternal life. Ah, hooray, praise the Lord. And when you learn how to live in that place of joy, nothing else matters. And God wants us to become continually aware. 
you know, we have this beautiful day. Praise the Lord, we have a public holiday in Australia for Good Friday. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful that we have that because it makes the nation stop, even though at the moment it's stopped anyway. But it makes the nation stop and remember, hey, why are we doing this? Oh, something about Good Friday. What's that? Ah, it's actually about Jesus dying. It's about Jesus Christ, God, who became a man and lived a sinless life, yet suffered absolute persecution, rejection to the point of being murdered on a cross. And he did it willingly because he loved you, because he loved me. And he took on the sin of the whole world. We can't even possibly begin to comprehend what that's like. We can't imagine the pain. We can't imagine what that would have been like. Yet he did it all because he loved us. And that is the reason for our joy today. That's the reason for our hope. That's the reason we call it Good Friday. Horrible what he went through. But it was such a good Friday because it was the day that Jesus Christ became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. It was the day that my Lord loved me so much that he died for me. Hallelujah. You and I have that freedom to rejoice and to celebrate him today. Hallelujah. So praise God. I wanna share with you um, a word that the Lord's given me today and I'm so excited to do that with you. And I, I hope you've got your communion ready. We wanna do that. And then we're gonna pray for people at the end of the service. So let's just pray. And I wanna jump in and share with you what the Lord's put on my heart. Father God, Lord, we're so thankful for today. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, our hope is found on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. God, we say thank You. Thank You for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to remember your love for us, your sacrifice, that you bled and died for us. God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. Lord, I pray that you'd impart grace to the hearers, that they may have faith tonight to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to surrender their lives to Him and receive the gift of salvation and mercy. Lord, I ask tonight that people would be saved and healed and delivered all over the world as the good news goes out. Lord, I pray that those who don't know you would hear this message, God, and that they would be saved. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, praise the Lord. I, I was wondering, have you ever thought about what it means to be saved? A lot of people talk about being born again, about receiving Jesus as Saviour. A lot of people perhaps even consider themselves Christians because they're not Buddhist or they're not this or they're not that. But Christianity is an inherited thing. It's not a, just a, a cultural thing you're born into. It's a choice that we make to become followers of Jesus. And Jesus died 
and rose again to set us free from sin. In fact, He came and He lived a perfect life and then was crucified cruelly on a cross, took on the sins of the whole world, the only one who was qualified to do it for us, the one, the perfect Lamb of God, who became the ultimate Passover Lamb, who was crucified for us and said as He died, it is finished the perfect sacrifice, taking your sin before you were ever born, paying for everything you've ever done before you ever did it. So that in the hope that one day you would receive Him as Lord and Saviour, that you would repent of your sin and receive the mercy of Christ and receive forgiveness. And so praise the Lord, the Bible says that Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so we put our faith in Jesus. You're my Saviour. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. I understand and believe, God, that the wages of sin is death. I can't pay for my sin. But Lord, I believe in Jesus, who is the Son of God, who paid for my sin by suffering and dying, by going into hell and by rising again. I believe that He's my Lord and my Saviour. I give Him my sin and I receive receive His gift of salvation, His gift of forgiveness and eternal life. But is salvation more than just a ticket to heaven? Are we, after we receive salvation, are we any different? Are we the same as we were before, but just, praise the Lord, sinners who now have a, a ticket to heaven? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about that. And I really wanna share some of those thoughts with you tonight. The Bible tells us that He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and by His stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah, it's a fourfold atonement. He was wounded for our sin. He was punished so that we don't have to be punished. If we will put our faith in Jesus as the Son of God, if we'll exchange our sin for His gift of forgiveness, we don't have to pay for our sin because He, in His great mercy, the only one qualified to do it, paid the wages for our sin, which was death. Hallelujah, so that we could have eternal life but he was bruised for our iniquities. And iniquities in the Hebrew is a different word to transgressions. There's something more than just a ticket to heaven. He was bruised for our iniquities. And that word iniquities, if you look it up in the Strong's, in the, in the Hebrew, you can see that it actually means our crookedness. So he made, came to make the crooked places straight. Hallelujah. He came to make everything that about me that was crooked, straight. He came to make everything about me that was sinful and wrong, holy. Because without holiness, no one can see God. Without becoming born again, a new creation, we are unable to be joined to God because light can't have fellowship with darkness. So Jesus needed to do more than just pay for our sin. His sacrifice actually purchased our rebirth, our new birth into 
holiness into righteousness. We become new creations. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not by works, lest anyone should boast, but it's by grace through faith that we become new creations. And we're called now to live as the righteous who actively live out righteousness by faith. Not sinners trying to be good, but actually we've become saints, hallelujah, new creations. We're not just the same as we were before, but with a ticket to heaven. We've actually crossed over from death to life and we've been born again, which means we get a new heart, which means your heart doesn't wanna sin anymore. But there's some really perplexing scriptures and uh, my family and I, we were just looking through this today and had a beautiful discussion and I wanted to share this with you. I love 1st, 2nd and 3rd John. I just think they're just such magnificent books of the Bible. I encourage you to read it, to dwell in it, to enjoy it. But I wanna share with you today a few scriptures that I think are so important for us. Firstly, I wanna start in 3rd John. It's toward the back of the Bible. 3rd John chapter one, verse 11. And it says here, the one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. That's a fascinating verse. The one who does evil has not seen God. They're talking here, I suppose, about having an encounter, the eyes of our understanding enlightened in the knowledge of Him. I was blind, but now I see, hooray, I found God. That's what conversion looks like. Ha, huh, there you are, you're real. You've made yourself real to me. In whatever personal experience you've had as you've sought the Lord to know Him, that sense of, ha, huh, He's real, I know Him. I've seen Him with the eyes of faith. I have found God. But what happens if having found God, having an encounter with God, you sin again? Does that mean that you are not of God? It's a, it's a difficult scripture for many. But then I looked up this word seen in the Strong's this morning. The one who does evil has not seen God. Well, when you look at this word seen, it actually means stare, to stare at him. So perhaps a better translation would be the one who does evil isn't staring at God. Let me show you another scripture. 1 John chapter three, this is beautiful. I love 1 John, hallelujah. And I could read the whole chapter to you. It's just magnificent. But let's start uh, at verse six. This is another perplexing scripture that used to make me feel condemned when I was young. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. And if you keep going down and you look at verse nine, it says here, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. What? What does this mean, God? 
because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who doesn't love his brother. So you could look at that and think, what does this mean? You know, I've had an encounter with God, yet I've sinned. I've had selfish moments. I know I have. I've had times where I've, I've done something selfish or I've had a, you know, a moment where I've been uh, cranky or self-centered. So I have sinned, yet I've seen God, yet I've sinned. Does that mean I wasn't born of God? This is what used to torment me. But you know, I have some really good news for you. As we keep looking at this chapter, you're going to discover it's actually such magnificent news. Uh, I'd love to hear your comments about this as we look at it. As we go on, uh, you could read down here in verse 14, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I'll skip down here. Verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and we will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart. One of my favorite verses. And knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him. We know that by this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. So looking at this, it's really interesting. He says, no one who abides in him sins. And then he tells us how we abide in him. We abide in him by keeping his commandments. And he tells us what commandments are that we need to keep. The commandments, there's only two. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. And he says, if you do this, you are abiding in me and you will not sin. This is a really exciting invitation. It's actually an invitation into a life where it is possible not to be selfish, not to live in sin. It is actually possible to live holy. And the Bible tells us that we don't need to live in condemnation because if you look at Romans 8, it tells us clearly that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It tells us in, uh, clearly here at the beginning of 1 John that um, if we sin, praise God, we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. So we have power to come to Him at any time and say, Lord, thank you for your mercy. I was wrong. I did the wrong thing. I'm sorry. And we can have faith to believe that we're forgiven, we're righteous, we're clean, and we're holy. But more than that, we have power to live free from sin by abiding in Him. And I believe the key is 
in staring at him. That is continually looking at him. If we, he who abides in him bears much fruit. This whole concept of abiding is actually an active opportunity for us to set our minds on him, to keep our minds set on him. And those that do that, the Bible says, they won't sin. I want to live a life where I don't sin. So how do I apply this? How do I practice this? Do you wanna know about how to do that? Well, my understanding of the scripture, as I look at it here, he says, if I abide in him, I won't sin. If I believe in him and I love others. Well, okay, let's break that down. How do I love others? Well, I'm supposed to love others as I love myself, which means I need to agree with God about how he feels about me. And you know how he feels about you and I? Having received Jesus as Lord and Savior, he looks at you and says, you're altogether lovely. You're forgiven. I don't even remember your sins anymore. I want you to believe that you're righteous. How do we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we have to make a decision that, hey, you are greater than my heart. You are better than I feel like I deserve. I am gonna have faith in the truth that Jesus you are more merciful than I feel like I deserve. I believe that having repented and turned from my sin, you have given me mercy and made me clean. You have made me righteous. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Believing that you're a sinner isn't pleasing to God. It's faith that pleases God. If you believe God, I believe you are greater than I feel like I deserve. I believe you have given me your righteousness in exchange for my sin. I am righteous. Believing that, then whatever you ask, you will receive because your prayers will be effective because you will be a righteous man or woman. Praise God. You and I are made righteous not by works, but by faith in His great grace. So God wants you to believe on the Lord Jesus. That's filling the first command. And then believing that you've been made righteous and clean and holy. Thank you, God. Today I look at you and I believe what you say. You say, as you are, so am I in this world. You say, it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. What's Christ like? Oh, He is holy. He is pure. He's altogether perfectly righteous and holy. He is love personified. That means to be the righteous who live by faith, I must believe that I also have been made pure, as pure as Christ Himself. <sighs> That's hard because emotionally we feel like, I haven't deserved that, I don't deserve that definition. But the truth is, the good news of the Gospel is about having faith in the mercy of Jesus. Believing, you must believe in what the Saviour has done, that He's taken your sin and He's actually made you new. He's made you righteous. He's made everything about you that was selfish and crooked, He's made it holy. He's made you righteous. 
Believing you are righteous empowers you to practice righteousness. Hallelujah. I love what Mark Greenwood says. He says, if you believe you're a sinner, you're going to sin by faith. And that's the truth. But if you believe you are righteous, you will walk by faith in that righteousness. Now, some people might say, well, I, I believe that, but oh, I still sin. I don't think that message works. Well, here's the truth. It's not just about having a one-off encounter. It's not just about agreeing mentally with it all. It's about staring at this one who is holy. It's about making a deliberate choice that my life now is not my own. He is the Lord of my life. So I am going to give my focus to staring at Him because the one who stares at Him won't sin. The one who beholds him continually won't sin. So I'm a really practical person though. I think, okay, well, I can behold him in the morning. I can behold him in the evening. But what about during the day when I have to problem solve or I have to do things? When I've got life and work, how can I be continually staring at him, beholding him? How can I live free from sin if, if I've got to put my mind on menial tasks and, and things I've got to do. Well, I've got good news for you. If you've ever thought like this, you don't just have to have moments of righteousness. You can live a life free from sin. If you learn what it looks like to live a life of fixing your gaze on Him, and you can do that by determining that everything you do, you do as unto the Lord. So if you are having to problem solve at work, you can do that as unto the Lord because we know the Bible says it's a good thing to work. If you are eating, you think, and just having a, your breakfast, you can do that as unto the Lord. And in everything you can give thanks. Everything I do, whether I am sleeping, relaxing, whatever I'm doing, if I can do it as unto the Lord, then I can abide in Him continually. I can be continually aware of Him. But that means if there's something that you're doing that you couldn't say, I'm going to do this unto the Lord, then you shouldn't be doing it. Is what you're doing, the choices that you make, something that you can devote to the Lord? You might feel like, well, with your friends, your friends wanna watch something that's not very holy or not very edifying. And you think, well, I wanna do that because I wanna fit in with them or I, wanna, I, I don't wanna disappoint them. You can have trust in the one that says that I make a way of escape out of every temptation. If you say, Lord, I want to live my life as unto you. I wanna do everything as unto you. What do I do in this situation? The Bible says he will make a way of escape for you. He might bring to your remembrance a scripture. Like when Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? He might bring to your remembrance a scripture that'll help you to say, actually, I'm gonna make a choice to say no to that and to say yes to something else, hallelujah. In every situation, God promises that he makes a way of escape. 
So what does a sinless life look like? What a great thought to begin to think about what could a sinless life look like for me? Well, I believe a sinless life doesn't look like never experiencing temptation. If a thought comes, we know that Jesus was tempted in all the same ways that we are. So you might get a tempting feeling or a tempting thought, but that isn't sin. That is an invitation from the enemy to engage in sin. But when that feeling or that thought comes, you can say, help Holy Spirit. You said you'd never leave me or forsake me. You said you'd make a way of escape out of temptation. So help me, help me and take captive that thought, cast it down, recognize it's not coming from you, it's coming from the enemy, dressing up as your own thoughts. The wolf comes in sheep's clothing. It's the enemy coming to try to entice you away, but you can say no in the name of Jesus. Lord, help me. Help me, you said you'd make a way of escape out of temptation. Lord, I'm feeling tempted right now. So rather than beating myself up about the fact that I'm feeling this temptation, God, I'm looking to you for help. Help me, what is the way of escape? And He'll help you to take captive that thought, to cast it down, to replace it. He'll bring to your remembrance the Scripture. He will help you, hallelujah. There's always a way out when you believe that you are not powerless, but that He is with you, that you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that He'll never leave you or forsake you. Amen? Hallelujah. We need to fix our thoughts on things above, it tells us in Colossians. On, in Philippians chapter four, he says, think on these things, things that are pure and lovely and of a good report. Do you wanna live a life free from sin? Well, the Bible tells us it's actually possible. And if you do mess up, He doesn't condemn you, He doesn't reject you. The Word of God for us is a mirror. It's an opportunity for us to be reminded of what we look like. In the book of James chapter one, it tells us if anyone's a hearer of the Word and not a doer, it's because he's like a man who looked at his natural face in a mirror and then walked away and forgot what he looked like. So God says, if you're not doing the works of Jesus, if you've seen Him, you've encountered Him, and then you find yourself not living up to the standard of Christ, He says, you don't need to be beating yourself up or condemning yourself. You need to come back to two simple things. First, believe on the Lord Jesus. What's He done? He became sin so I could become righteous. He is my righteousness. He's the one who forgives me. As I confess and repent, He has given me forgiveness, mercy. I'm redeemed, I'm clean, I'm righteous, I'm holy. I believe you are greater than my heart. Even if my heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart. You are better than I feel like I deserve. I am righteous. I'm the righteous today who lives by faith. Today I'm gonna walk out righteousness, hallelujah. I'm gonna practice righteousness, not by 
my willpower, but by the strength of God. I'm gonna draw on His strength. I'm not gonna say I'm strong. I'm gonna say, Lord, in You is my strength. Hallelujah. I'm gonna acknowledge that I am needy of love. I need Your love to be able to give to others. I need Your grace. I'm gonna pull on Your strength today because You've invited me to abide in You. I'm gonna believe on You and I'm gonna let You love me because I can't love without first being loved. I can't give what I haven't received. So today, Lord, I receive your love. I receive your mercy. I receive your forgiveness. Hallelujah. I thank you for your love. Help me to know. Help me to drink deeply from the river of your pleasure today so that I can be filled up to overflowing, that I can receive what I need so that I'm not vulnerable to looking to other things to try to fill my needs for love, affection, acceptance. I'm gonna look to you. Lord, fill me with the love of Christ, the love of God that passes knowledge. I wanna be filled up to overflowing. Help me to look at you and remember that you look at me and love me. You didn't come into the world to judge me, but you came in the world to save me. Lord, you love me. Help me to know your love. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Strengthen me with might in my inner man so I can know your love, God. Help me to feel and experience and receive your love today so that I can overflow with love for others. I believe on the Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.